Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast, episode number 182. We're joining you every week to talk IT career progression and bring you the advice we wish we'd been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, Nick Cordy, joined by my co-host, John White, at The Journeyman. Hey John, how's it going? Hey Nick, I'm doing great. Just want to remind everybody that we are both pre-sales technical engineers with backgrounds in IT operations. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, please feel free to tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Our DMs are open. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. Awesome, John. Today is the end of a trilogy on Nerd Journey. The Bill Kindle trilogy, as we'll call it. If you missed part one in episode 180, go back and check it out. Bill tells us about some experience in customer service and how that shaped his career. How he started to tinker, had a constant desire to advance, and that he wanted his work to be valued by the organizations where he worked. In part two, in episode 181, we talked about writing, how Bill got into writing, the role of community in his career, and how it actually helped him come back from burnout. What was the road to recovery like? Well, I guess you'll have to go back and listen. What's on tap today, John? From listening back to the episode, there were a few things that really jumped out at me. One was how Bill kind of got into the security part of um, technology. And uh, there's a really interesting subtlety on getting into security operations center role, a role there versus like a pure security role and what that transition was like. And then he has some really interesting advice on just getting into cybersecurity that I thought you know, was a variation on a theme about getting into, you know, various technical roles. So it was a really interesting application and I don't want to, to, to ruin, you know, the actual content. So I'll let it go there. Bill also kept on talking about writing. This is an episode that we actually hunted him down for, for, and uh, recorded to kind of close the loop on this uh, cybersecurity role. And he talked a little bit more about the writing and, you know, that, added a little bit more uh, flavor there. And I thought that that was really cool. But, you know, hey, rather than talk about it, why don't we just go straight into episode number 182, our final talk with Bill Kindle. Hey, Bill, um, before we wrap up here, can we talk a little bit about uh, the security role and and that kind of part of the the industry and, and your career, how you've uh, drifted in that direction and how that happened? I think I mentioned before, you know, I did some presentation work for a local VBUG in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And um, through that organization, I met quite a few people. One of them was a very good colleague of mine um, and uh, I consider a friend who came to me one day and he's like, hey, heard you're looking for an opportunity. You know, I got one that's uh, going to get into a lot of cybersecurity engineering. I'd like you to come, you know, try out for it. So I interviewed and uh, got to meet with him and the uh, COO at the time and kind of went from there. 
felt like I was kind of hired right on the spot. My previous skills kind of lined up. I had a little bit of an interest in security and uh, knew my way around some tools already. And that was pretty much it. It was going to be taking care of uh, internal support for a SOC team that needed basically someone with sysadmin experience and uh, knew how to deploy uh, security tool stacks. So yeah, that's how, that's how it got started. Was this a natural byproduct of the systems administration and PowerShell experience? Or I'm just curious where the big security interest came from and the reason for the specialization? Well, I, I was really looking to do something different. I felt like I was kind of at the peak of where I was at with my previous role. Like I couldn't move up any further. And I just was like, okay, you know, to break this cycle of feeling burnout, you know, yeah, I'm doing writing, I'm doing presenting, you know, that's helping a lot. But I was like, I really just got to, I got to break into a different role. So that's kind of how I, I sold myself. I was like, you know, I, I really want to try something different and I want to put my full effort into it. That's just kind of how it happened. And I've always had, a, you know, a interest in security, but I kind of like stayed back away from that, it, that, that culture, that industry a little bit. I was kind of more like an observer. You know, I would, I would implement security into my day-to-day job with, like every sysadmin should do anyways, but I tried to take a more holistic approach to it and look at what people were actually doing and working with and, and incorporating that into my own day-to-day activities. So it wasn't necessarily like I felt like I needed to have that title. I was kind of already doing some of that stuff anyways. But uh, this particular engineering role that I was getting asked to join was able to flex not only my sysadmin skills, but give me a whole different skill set on top of that. And I was able to do PowerShell. I was able to do a lot of other uh, config management tools like Ansible and Terraform and get exposure to just different different aspects of security. So it's a really attractive position. That's that's fascinating. I, I wonder when you get into that type of thing, like in my experience, this is just my past experience, is that, you know, the kind of generalist background and non-specialist approach to doing something is a really good entry. But then when you get to kind of that area where that's all that that team does, you kind of realize, oh, like I had like 40% of what I thought these people were doing. And then now like the rest of the iceberg is exposed. Did you have like a, a moment like that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, there were lots of things that I just didn't know that I didn't have previous insight into that I just found fascinating. Uh, but then when I got down to the gist of it, I was like, oh, this really isn't all that different than what I was doing before. It's just more of like I'm specializing in a security team that's doing this stuff. Like I'm seeing it from, you know, an analyst eyes, like what the analyst actually needs to be able to do their job. And I'm like, oh, I can help with that. Like, let me you know, spin up this particular type of logging for you, you know, let me help you deploy that EDR in a more efficient, faster manner. That's endpoint detection and response, right? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. meant to say the acronym first. <laughs> I hate that when I start getting a lot of acronyms thrown at me because I'm like, oh, I don't know what that means. I, I recently got hit with one that was just said KSA. And I'm like, never heard of that one before. And I felt like an idiot when the, when the person told me, oh, that means knowledge, skills, and abilities. I was like, oh. But yeah, it was like I was able to build on a lot of those skills. I was like, oh, I know how to do this. But now I'm getting the why behind why you do that stuff. It's because it does help with security investigations. It does do this. It provides that value to somebody to actually find and hunt a threat, you know, and then be able to protect against that. Because then I'm seeing it from the 
systems administrator side, like I'm seeing those holes that are getting identified by SOC analyst or a uh, another cybersecurity engineer. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, we can fix that. Or, well, we can't fix it. There's nuance there. Here's why. Like I could explain it to an analyst so they would understand like, okay, we know about that. And here's how we got to work around it. But it was just getting, you know, getting that interaction and, and seeing how they operate was just, it, it was eye-opening, really. I mean, it, it was pretty cool. There's something about that firsthand experience with understanding, like, somebody else's, like, operational tempo and then also, like, their, like, operational day-to-day that helps us with, like, empathy and sympathy. And it sounds almost like it's a, it's a good reason for organizations to have, like, rotations where, you know, you ro- kind of, like, rotate into a job just to, you know, kind of see, get a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, so that when you rotate back into like your regular position, you have like way more understanding of, of the whys behind like what it is that you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what it was in this position is that I got to see why having a, a systems engineer, you know, being able to assist a SOC firsthand, why, why that position is actually necessary. And it's not sounding like, you know, this isn't to knock on the position at all because everybody's got their own skills and abilities. But, you know, a typical SOC analyst, in my experience, doesn't have that deep systems knowledge that like someone like an experienced sysadmin would have. So they have to make some assumptions sometimes like, oh, well, this is how it's, you know, should be, but it might not be that way. And having a, having a sysadmin, you know, in like a cybersecurity engineering role that can kind of explain some of those things actually helps like I said, it, not everybody calls a you know cybersecurity engineer the same thing. Like they, they're, in my experience, no two roles are identical when it comes to a cybersecurity engineer. I mean, there's people that I had walk up to me at a, a local B sides event just recently, which I talk more about in a minute, that asked me what I do from day to day, and I, I explained to them I was like, well, I do a lot of sysadmin type stuff, you know, but I also focus on some the security aspect of it. And they were shocked because they thought that cybersecurity engineers are like, you know, purple teamers or go out and, you know, what they call red teaming, which is to purposely go out and break stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm not a hacker. That's that's a misconception. You know, you, you, you need to do engineering work and that's to make stuff work for the SOC to be able to do their security investigations. At least in, in current role that I'm in, that's how they, you know, how they structured it. That's fascinating. So there's roles out there that are kind of platform support, basically. Like, you know, you're in charge of doing the underlying platform and maybe your responsibility is like right below like the the tools level for the application, for the security operations center. It's like the instead of operating the tools, you're operating the platforms upon which the tools are being used. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's what I found you know really exciting about the role was that I was in the, the thick of it every day. Like I had to have a deep understanding on how everything worked together to basically provide a service to clients. And, you know, when those things didn't work, that meant an entire team wasn't able to be effective in their jobs. And that, you know, I I took great pride in trying to make sure that every every day those things were working at, at basically top performance. But, you know, getting to see all of the the different tools and how they work together, you know, kind of gave me more insight, like you said, you know, into seeing how all that information works together. 
to support a team. And it's just, it, 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 it's, it, it's fun. I, I can't describe it any other way. It, it's something that's been very, very enlightening these last two years. Tell me if I'm off base here, but it, like, I'm, I'm trying to draw an analogy. Is it like the difference between being like a, like a heavy machine mechanic who like maybe is in charge of, I, I don't know, like a, like diesel trucks or something like that. And then someone who specializes in that type of thing, but for fire engines, like there's the platform, like the general platform. And then there's the platform with this like specific like purpose that you have to tune like everything around, like the platform has this job to like go around and do this specific thing. So you have to adjust all your knowledge to kind of be around the operational needs of that specific platform. Right. I mean, from the outside, you know, someone sees a fire truck and, you know, they see, they see a big truck that shoots water and has, you know, a few guys or ladies in it, but there's so much more to that truck that makes it a fire engine. You know, you've got, you've got hydraulic pumps, you've got, you know, generators, you've got tools, everything works together to make that fire truck effective, you know, and everybody has a job on that fire truck. Sometimes you might have that one person that understands every single aspect of that fire truck and how everything has to work together precisely in order for it to, you know, effectively put out fires or save somebody from a, you know, a wreck. And that's kind of what, you know, I felt was kind of that cyber engineering role is that, you know, you had to have that knowledge, that depth of knowledge to understand how all these tools work together, how to tweak them to make them work even better or know when they, you know, were no longer effective and know when to pull them out. Here's, here's how I would classify the job title as it should be security systems architect. That's immediately what went off in my brain when you started talking, John. Yep, and that's uh, that's actually what uh, one of my coworkers' uh, titles similarly was. It was a cybersecurity architect role. They were in charge of uh, making multiple platforms work together with other platforms through some backend automation. So it's pretty pretty cool. Do you have any advice, Bill, in addition to what we've already talked about, for folks who want to break in to this cybersecurity specialty or technology field in general? It would be to don't be afraid of writing about your experiences. Build a home lab. Definitely build a home lab. You can do it with an old laptop and a, and a off the you know off the shelf switch from Target or Walmart. But you gotta you gotta start somewhere. Building little home labs, doing uh, doing labs online. You just gotta have some activity because just waiting around for a role to come up isn't the best way to break into cybersecurity. You need, you need to put yourself out there. You need to actively participate in the communities. Like, uh, you know, if you've got one in your area, join a local B-Sides group. Can you explain what that is? So B-Sides is basically like a, like a community security conference mm -hmm. uh, organization. So, you know, groups will get together. You know, most of them that I've seen are mostly yearly. Um, some of them, I think, actually have like monthly meetings, but... It's just security professionals. Every you know, everyone from SOC analysts to you know C-suite types can be involved, and they just talk about you know education topics, um, career advice, and just general just general security. You know, IT security. This was my first involvement in one this year. Um, I was super excited about it. I actually uh, joined it with a, a few former coworkers of mine who were SOC analysts that uh, started this one up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, 
<laughs> we just actually just had it um, at the end of May, and it was phenomenal. We had a couple hundred people show up, quite a few vendors, and uh, had some really good presentations from some very uh, very influential people. Um, I don't know. It just it was it was good to see um, you know one because you know COVID's kind of over and you know people are starting to get back out to conferences again. So it was kind of good to see people like actual face to face this time. I I enjoyed that. Hearing hearing different stories, you know, from different people and different job roles and what they're doing was just, you know, exciting. You know, we talk about everything from basically job responsibilities and how roles don't ever like actually line up in this industry with what you really do um, to, you know, like, hey, what what current threats are you seeing in your environment? How are you how are you going about you know trying to thwart them? So you'd hear some pretty interesting conversations around some tech and even even low tech ways to thwart some of that stuff. So. You know, just just good conversations, and that's what it's all about. Is just you know getting active in the communities. Um, so if you've got one, you know nearby, uh, do definitely check them out. Yeah. So I already mentioned home labbing, writing, and you know just just getting yourself out there is like the top big three things I would say is that what you need to do to break into cybersecurity, and and don't ever skimp on the fundamentals. And when I say the fundamentals, I'm not like fundamentals of threat hunting. I'm saying fundamentals of how networks work. You know how operating systems work just you know those basic things don't ever discount the basics because they're building blocks on everything else that you'll need to do in order to become an effective analyst or cybersecurity engineer or architect you know you'll need to have an understanding of those so don't ever skimp out on them i've seen i've seen lots of people go through boot camps and come out on the other end and they're not they're not as effective as they could be if they hadn't skimped on the, the fundamentals first that would be my advice. I like that. So it's kind of three patterns. Like one, actually do something. Like you mentioned home labbing. And then two is kind of writing. And you can write about your experience and your journey, at, you know, from the beginner level to the to the novice, to the, you know, to the journeyman, to the master. And that's that's always interesting writing. And then like getting involved in a local community, which, you know, I've found fascinating, but uh, man, that home labbing and, and actually kind of playing around in the thing that you say that you want to be doing. It's so fundamental, right? Like it's an apocryphal story, right? But like, you know, the idea of somebody who's like, Hey, you know, I want to get into animation. Right. And then the, the, somebody asks them, Oh, show me like a, like a flip book animation that you've done. And they go, uh, Oh, you, yeah. Okay. So I should start with like the low tech and actually start doing it, not uh, just say that I want to be doing it. Well, I think I think Mike Judge of you know Beavis and Butthead fame and, and King of the Hill. <laughs> I think he got started, and I'd have to go back and look at the documentary they did on it. But uh, I believe he got started in animation just by going to animation conventions <laughs> and started drawing. So. Um, you know, and, and look at where he's at today. I mean, he's made some iconic, funny shows. So, but you know, yeah, it's just it's just getting out there. You got to put yourself out there. Um, and, and in the cybersecurity realm, there's so many great resources out there. Like the the folks over at Black Hills Security or Information Security, they have tons of resources. Um, they've got a, a resource where it's basically like a pay pay what you can training. I believe it's called anti siphon training. But, you know, there's there's resources out there. There's sites like Try Hack Me or Hack the Box. I mean, little things like that. I, I can tell you after sitting in or getting to sit in on a few interviews 
or uh, roles that I, you know, had had some uh, influence on, that impressed me more if somebody was actively doing that kind of stuff on their own than somebody with a CISSP. The industry sometimes puts too much value on top of certs, depending on who you talk to, as opposed to actual demonstrated skill. Now, some of those certs like the ISC squared one that, you know, those actually require you to have documented experience. So I'm not discounting that that certification at all. But I'm, what I'm saying is, is that that certification is, it doesn't automatically make you, I guess, effective at your job as something like, you know, doing those hands-on activities, constantly showing that you're, you're doing what you're trying to get into because just, just going out and getting a certification doesn't guarantee you a spot at all. No, I, I can totally understand what you're saying. It's like, if you are building a resume and like, you know, a history of writing, even on your own like blog saying like, here's where I start in security, you know, here's all the studying that I'm doing. Here's my home lab, uh, how I set it up. Like, and then you have this like deep understanding of the fundamentals, as you mentioned, uh, you know, and then you talk about, you know, a bunch of activities that you've actually done, you know, successes, failures, your write-ups, right? Because as a, as a security engineer, like, a, a you know, somebody who's in the field and customer facing, like, you know, the write-ups are like pretty critically important, you know, as part of like what it is that you deliver when it comes to work product. And then maybe you don't have the certification, but if you have this like history of all this writing and this history of activity, then like somebody is much more inclined to take, you know, a chance on you and go, you know, and it would be great if in the first year, you know, you get that like uh, certification and, and you know what, we're going to pay for it as opposed to somebody who has a certification who's never done like any actual field work, but, you know, somehow got certified like that. That's uh, that feels a lot riskier. Well, it's proof of your it's proof of your learning. Like, you know, the writing is proof that you are doing the thing, but also that you have learned the thing to some extent. That's evidence that that you can learn new things. And companies like the fact that their employees are adaptable and can learn new things quickly. Well, and and with the writing. I mean, as a SOC analyst, you have to be able to tell stories with data. So you have to you have to be able to articulate what it is you're seeing, why it's bad, what action needs to be taken. So if you train yourself early on to just be writing and telling those stories in your own home lab, it makes it, it makes the job that much easier. Because then you're gonna you're gonna know the basics of what you're looking for. You're gonna know how to articulate those basics. And you know, you're just gonna you're just gonna have that much easier of a time instead of just like yeah I went out and I got that that CompTIA certification you know yesterday I'm ready to go I'm just boom dropped in and then you find out you're like what did I get myself into <laughs> you know because you find yourself you know you're doing a lot of write ups you're doing a lot of reporting you know you're not just sitting and like constantly responding to something you know you have to actually sit and analyze data and analyze logs and then articulate those logs to management you know, to other, other sysadmin teams. That's why I said, don't, don't discount the basics and definitely don't discount practicing writing. I mean, even if it's just a couple paragraphs about something you're doing in your home lab, do it. Who cares? Who cares if nobody else reads it, but you, but when you go out to put that on a resume saying like, look, I, I write about what I do in my home lab as, as a hiring manager and a, you know, a technical person in on an interview, 
that's going to be more impressive than you just listing off a bunch of certs. Because yeah. I, I mean, I, you, you guys have probably seen this too. I know I have over the years. Just because you got a cert doesn't mean you're competent. Yeah, that's I mean, why I'll leave it with that. The the writing sample is something that you hardly ever get in in a job interview, right? Or in in the hiring process. And if somebody's just delivering to you on a plate, like all like their writing sample, like how they communicate ideas, how they document, like that's kind of gold, right? And that's I have to imagine that that's going to give you a leg up at some point in time in a hiring cycle. Now you have to be good at it, obviously, but <laughs> you got to get the reps in. You know, I, I'm not a professional writer by any means. Never, never intended to be, never intend to be. But I do like to tell tell my stories. You know, if I find them interesting, I'll, I'll I'll put them out there. You know, it might be a year or two from now before I get a thank you. Like I, <laughs> I actually just had one not too long ago about an article I wrote on AdamTheAutomator.com. Someone left a message. They're like. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I found this. I had this exact same problem and nobody else knew how to fix it. And I stumbled across this in a Google search and thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I was like, nice. oh, that's awesome. And it was an article I wrote two years ago. I didn't put it out there for the praise. I put it out there because I was like, I'm going to share knowledge. I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to use it on a resume. So yeah, I, I, well, did, I did it for me first. Everything else is just secondary. This is the motivation behind Seth Godin's The Practice. Ship the work, do the thing, and ship the creative work to be generous, and not for the accolades. And so, this reminds me of a quote from Kenny Loggins, whose biography I just read. Weird dude, but here's his quote: "Follow the fun. If you love what you're doing, you're going to get good at it. If you're good at it, someone's going to hire you. Get great at it, and someone might pay you a bunch of money to do it. As long as you love it, you'll be happy." And the pattern I see with you, Bill, is that you continue to, especially since the conversation with John and Kat, you continue to follow the things that you really enjoy. And that's kind of what led you to where you are. Mm -hmm. Yep. And like I said, you know, I owe a lot of, uh, a lot of gratitude to, to that conversation that just happened at a VMUG because that's, that's where it kind of kicked off everything. It was just, one-off conversation and it's like, oh, yeah, let's let's jump and try to do it. You gotta you gotta learn to take chances. You know, sometimes you know, you get it, you get stuck in a rut. You just gotta you just gotta uh, make a move. I don't know if you guys have uh, ever read uh, any of Jocko Willink's books, but it was one of those quotes that kind of stuck in my mind. I forget which book it was from, but is that extreme it, ownership? It, it might have been. Uh, I can't recall off the top of my head, but it was it was basically something about like you know what you gotta do is you gotta you gotta stop look around, make a call, execute on it, and just repeat. And that's that's kind of what I felt like I did at that time. I, I paused, looked around, assessed the situation, made a call, and executed on it. And that was me deciding to jump into cybersecurity, like going to do something uncomfortable and see where it goes. And it turns out I liked it. It's so easy to get stuck in analysis paralysis or you know, just be fearful that a decision that you're making – is the wrong one and it's too consequential and that you know it nothing can ever change after you make this decision but that's that's a real fallacy right like you can make a decision you know to go in a direction execute on it and then in your like wrap up you know a little bit later go hmm this was not quite the 
the direction that I feel like I should have gone in. It should have been slightly more that way. And then that's what you do next, right? Yeah, you got to just iterate, just like uh, like DevOps. Just you, you, you get through a cycle, you stop, you evaluate. If you got to make adjustments, you do that, and you just keep on going. So We're thinking about making that like the subtitle of the podcast, Nerd Journey, Just Iterate. Well, we've said it in a lot of episodes. I bet if we mine the data, we'll, we'll come up with a lot of hits. Yeah. There is one episode with the word iterate in the title, and if you can tell me the guest, for those who are listening, send us a DM on Twitter. We'll send you stickers. The stickers are high quality, by the way. Top notch. That's all Nick. He's the he's the sticker man. Hey, listen, Bill, we want to say thank you so much for spending time with us. If people want to follow up with you, where can they find you? I'm on the interwebs a little bit. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. You can also find some of my writing uh, over at adamtheautomator.com and over at forcesops.com. I might have some new content coming out on both those sites in the near future. Ooh, that's exciting. Like uh, if you're you're waking up the, the writing beast that we need to... We need to jump all over that. When those uh, things come out, if you could ping us on Twitter, we'll uh, make sure to reshare. Took a break from it just a little bit, just to kind of catch a breather, you know, because that's the other thing. You can't you can't burn yourself out on something you like doing, too. And that's where I was kind of starting to head. So I was like, well, I better stop before I do get burned out and took a little bit of a break. And then the bug kind of bit me again just recently. And I was like, well, I'm going to put some stuff out there and see where it goes. Yeah, I mean, and we should probably distinguish between like, writing you know the quality of writing that you need to write for like your own personal blog and the quality of writing that you need to do for you know adamtheautomator.com or for sysops.com is is like slightly different like you could you can write for your own personal blog without a strong thesis statement for for the entry <laughs> but you, you can't really do that <laughs> for a professional site yeah yeah and that's the other thing too with writing you know yeah you could do it for yourself and then if you get decent enough at it or find a place that can do the editing for you, you know, you make a little side hustle money too. So it, there's, there's benefits to writing. You just got to start doing it. Well, Bill, thanks a lot for coming on the journey. Really appreciate your time. We will uh, shout out like all those uh, sites and like maybe link to some of your past writing. Like I said, when you publish something new, just let us know and we'll make sure to retweet that. And we can even uh, come back and add it to the show notes. Uh, for people who are you know discovering us on the long tail really appreciate your time and uh thanks a lot for coming on well thanks for having me on maybe we can do it again sometime definitely thanks again bill thank you Nick, this was a great episode to uh, come back and close the loop with Bill Kendall for what's hopefully the you know the first of uh, you know more than one conversation with him. Right? Let's hopefully you know reconnect with him at a later date, you know, and hear about what's going on with him later. After having listened to that, are there any kind of major takeaways that stuck with you? How about this misconception of what the cybersecurity engineer actually does every day? That was eye-opening to me about how applicable 
the systems engineering skills were and what Bill did as a cybersecurity engineer. And again, we hear about this pattern of talking to the people who do the thing you think you want to do to understand what it is that they do. Yes. You know, without that networking and, hey, your job title says X, what do you actually do every day? <laughs> Which, if you're a solution engineer like we are, it's it's actually kind of hard to answer sometimes when someone asks you that question. <laughs> That's a different <laughs> podcast. What's a typical day look like for you, Nick? Well, I have to record shows with this guy named John White. He's <laughs> he's kind of sassy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I will say there were a lot of great cybersecurity resources mentioned in that episode. Different sites you can go to for training to help you gain experience or or be part of a community. And if you're looking for more cybersecurity field goodness, go back and listen to the Donovan Farrow episodes in 133 and 134. Nice. We'll put some links in the show notes to those. I also thought that it was kind of cool that, you know, he mentioned the home lab and the, the practical experience. You know, again, it's a variation on the theme that, you know, we've talked about and heard about from people over and over again. It's like, hey, you know, you say you want to do this, so do it. Not necessarily for pay, but for, you know, little practical experience in, in a home lab. And so not everything that you do is just kind of like, you know, uh, a training, you know, situation. You can say, well, no, no, I've actually done that. I've actually implemented it. I've actually installed it. I've actually configured it. What happens if you get hired to do something and you have no practical experience? Like that could be a disaster. So, you know, really enjoyed hearing about that again. And it's a great reminder. I also think that you know, he talked about writing again. And again, it was that slight variation, even episode to episode on what his views on writing were and how, again, writing is thinking. That recording of the thing is your the organization of your thought on that topic. And if you're doing that, it just helps you personally better. So I think that discussion really like anchored or cemented that thought for me, you know, even though he made it in episode uh, 181. Now I'm thinking, I'm not sure that he's even like making those like exact points, but I'm just drawing the conclusion and that coming away with that is just awesome. He's just totally modeling it and it's making me go, Oh, writing is thinking. So kudos to Bill. Yeah. And Josh Duffney was right on with that advice, wasn't yep. he? Yep. It's hard to listen to all these and not want to go and write more stuff, just in general, for me. Yeah, definitely inspiring for me. You know, I'm doing experiments on my own and in doing a little bit more, you know, technical exploration. I think I've been inspired in the last, you know, since I've returned to do that. And then writing down, you know, the things that I'm learning as I'm going and trying to organize those thoughts. So I'm teaching myself for repeatability, you know, that's important. And then even if it never gets published, it's kind of very, very helpful. And I've found that I don't have to repeat things over and over again. It's like, okay, no, I wrote it down and that really anchored it for me. And if I forget when I go back and read it, oh, I wrote it down and it forced me to organize that thought and 
and record it in a way that makes, makes sense to the primary audience, which is me. <laughs> so, yeah, writing is thinking. Thanks, Bill. Writing is thinking. I think that's it for that segment and everything we had planned for this episode. Anything else pop into your mind? No, just a reminder again that we'd like people to subscribe and give us a pause review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to be listening. Uh, we want to know for being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter at NerdJourney. Hopefully you have smashed the subscribe button or ring the bell. And if you could take a moment, please rate the show. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm Nick Cordy at Network Nerd underscore for John White at V Journeyman. Signing off. Adios.